I wanted to uh, give you an update on some things that are happening here. Um, uh, this past week, someone that I've been building a relationship with in our community uh, a number of years now um, finally got to the point where he asked me, are you the pastor of the movie Tavern Church? I'm like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Get the quesadillas. They're amazing. Get their amazing. Um, uh, but because of this confusion, uh, this whole movie church thing, which has served us well over the years, uh, uh, it has caused many people in the community to not really know if we're a real church. That's the basic thing. Uh, are you a real church? Uh, and the, the two, two questions are, do you, do you watch movies there and do you serve popcorn? And occasionally we do both. Occasionally we do the both. But the question is, are you a real church? And so uh, we made the decision back in the spring uh, that we were going to essentially do away with moviechurch.com. We were going to transition to CCV Live. We're thankful for what that has done in the past for us, but going in the future, we believe CCV Live captures um, who we are. So you're going to see coming up here in a few weeks you're going to see a brand new website. So it's not just a new domain name. You're going to see a new website, uh, fully functional. We're starting with mobile since seven or eight out of ten Americans always exclusively now just use their phones. Uh, so we're designing the website with that kind of functionality in mind. You're going to see a new sign on Jaeger Road and Old State Road. We've had a banner for years. A lot of you are like, oh, I can't wait till you actually have... A real church sign. We're going to have a nice real church sign out front. Um, the, the sign that is over here that is kind of old on uh, the side of our building, we're actually going to move, move, it, move it over there, and it's going to be lighted. It's really cheap to do. We're just throwing up a light so people can see it from 422, um, 24 hours a day. Uh, we're putting new, some new banners out, and you're going to notice uh, consistent colors and fonts across the board. And we're doing all of this so we can essentially get ready to go to three services. Don't put it up yet. Yes, yes. When are we going to three services? What are the service times? Don't look. What are they going to be? Nine, 10, 15, and 11, 30. Three identical services. Well, a lot has been going on this summer. And just to give you a quick update, in June, we had our middle school camp uh, called Stretch, and we're so thankful uh, for all of the volunteers who were a part of that. We have dozens of, dozens of brave adults here at CCV who banded together and took a bunch of Valium and, and decided to <laughs> go work with some middle schoolers, and they put together a crazy great experience. After that, we sent a bunch of high middle schoolers away to a week-long camp called CIY Mix, and they had a great time bonding and just having a lot of fun, fun together. Well, if you were uh, summering with the Amish, you are not aware that we had kids camp last week. It was absolutely amazing. We want to thank all of the amazing vol volunteers that did that. We had 17 people get baptized last Sunday, despite getting... Yes. Despite Satan attacking us through a bird on the stage. That was, that was the worst. Uh, this past week, we had 100-some high schoolers go to CIY Move in Salisbury, yeah, Salisbury, Maryland, all right? Uh, I was told, great time, fun, worship, small groups, uh, hanging out, and 11 people in that group were, can you show that picture right here? 11 people were baptized um, at that. It was really, really cool. 
Um, if you've been uh, watching Facebook, you saw that we had an adult missions team go to Guatemala and love on a family there and build them a home. Never had a home that was stable and protected from the rain, and so they, they did that, and we're absolutely proud of what they did. Uh, pray for them. Half of them are, st- I think they're all stuck right now in Miami, and uh, hopefully uh, they're going to be coming back today. Um, and next week, uh, we're going to be sending a group of high schoolers to Guatemala as well. So who has, who has a high schooler, and you can't wait to send your kid to Guatemala? You're like, yes, I got a week to myself. Yes, all right. So, But they're going to build some homes, and if you were a part of kids' camp, all the kids gave an offering. It's going to go to uh, uh, build one of those homes. And so we're really, really thankful for what God is doing. We're starting a new series here today called One Thing. whole idea of it is just a few weeks is what would be one thing you could do this week that would really help make a powerful difference in the way you express your faith? What would be one thing that you could start doing today that will help you live the adventurous life that God is calling us to live? And today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about something that if you learn how to do this, this is a skill that will, you will carry the rest of your life and that will, own, or that will open up profound doors of life change for the rest of your time here on the planet. Jesus told the story about a farmer that went out to sow a bunch of seeds, started throwing a bunch of seeds here, there, and everywhere. Some of the seed fell on good soil and it sprouted up and there was a harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold. And he's talking about when we share the gospel of the kingdom with people, sometimes it lands on good soil, and then they will go and reproduce themselves. But sometimes, however, we will go and attempt to share the good news of the kingdom with people. And as Matthew thirteen nineteen says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. That's why the Apostle Paul says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Otherwise, the evil one will come and snatch it away. And so the one thing that I want to do today is I want to teach you how to share the gospel of the kingdom in a way that is understandable. And to get us started, I wanted to share a poem by one of my favorite, favorite poets. His name is Wendell Berry. And the poem is called A Timbered Choir. Watch this. Even while I dreamed, I prayed that what I saw was only fear and no foretelling. For I saw the last known landscape destroyed for the sake of the objective. The soil bulldozed, the rock blasted. Those who had wanted to go home would never get there now. I visited the offices where, for the sake of the objective, the planners planned at blank desks set in rows. I visited the loud factories where the machines were made that would drive ever forward toward the objective. I saw the forest reduced to stumps and gullies. I saw the poisoned river, the mountain cast into the valley. I came to the city that nobody recognized because it looked like every other city. I saw the passages worn by the unnumbered footfalls 
of those whose eyes were fixed upon the objective. Men and women and children now pursued the objective as if nobody ever had pursued it before. The races and the sexes now intermingled perfectly in pursuit of the objective. The once enslaved, the once oppressed were now free to sell themselves to the highest bidder and to enter the best paying prisons in pursuit of the objective which was the destruction of all enemies, which was the destruction of all obstacles, which was to clear the way to victory, which was to clear the way to promotion, to salvation, to progress, to the completed sale, to the signature on the contract, which was to clear the way to self-realization, to self-creation, from which nobody who ever wanted to go home would ever get there now. For every remembered place had been displaced, every love unloved, every vow unsworn, every work unmeant, to make way for the passage of the crowd, of the individuated, the autonomous, the self-actuated, the homeless, with their many eyes opened only toward the objective, which they did not yet perceive in the far distance, having never known where they were going, having never known where they came from. So I want you to keep the ethos of that in your mind as we go through what I'm about to share. Now what I want you to do is I want everybody to pull out the sermon notes that are in your program as well as a pen, okay? And what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you draw along with what I'm doing. Trust me, and you can keep this and you can put it in your Bible and you can use it for years and years to come. So go ahead and reach into your programs and grab your sermon notes and grab a pen. If you're next to someone that isn't do that, isn't doing that, lean over and look them in the eyes and say, you're going to go to hell if you don't do this. I'm just, just warning you. Here we go. So let's say we're at Applebee's. You're someone who isn't convinced of this whole Christianity thing, but you've come and you've visited a service. We're sitting down at lunch, and we do small talk. I usually go through form, F-O-R-M. I'm usually thinking, tell me about your family. Tell me about your occupation. Tell me about your religious background. Tell me about your mission in life. What makes you tick? 
And then I will simply ask this question. Has anyone ever shared with you the whole point of Christianity? Like the big idea of Christianity. I said, and I'll say, give me your napkin, or give me your, your, your uh, plate place, right? Your, what's that little paper thing you put plates on? A placemat. Give me your placemat. Thank you. And how can you trust me to teach you how to share this when I don't even know what a placemat is? So anyway, I get the piece of paper, I'll grab it, and I'll say, do you have a pen? I'll usually take their pen and their placemat, and I will draw a big circle on it, and then I will put up at the top our beautiful world. So that's what I want you to do on your piece of paper. Put a circle on it and put up at the top our beautiful world. And I will tell them, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says about this beautiful world that we live in. And I'll say, I'll tell you that God created everything that is within it. Beautiful mountains and beautiful oceans. And usually I'll ask them, what's the most beautiful place you've ever been on earth? And I will share the time when we went from Salt Lake City on vacation and we drove up Route 89. Um, that we got, and then we got to Hoback Junction right before you're getting into Jackson, Wyoming, where you go left, you go up the road and you look to the left for the very first time and you see this picture right here of the Grand Teton Mountains. It's absolutely stunning. I will never forget when Dan and I were flying back from northern India, meeting with our missionary Avia there. We were exhausted. We're ready to go to sleep. We had left out of an airport called Dibrugar in northern India. And as we're going along the Nepalese southern border, we look out our window and we see this right here. And off in the distance, we're like, that's the Himalaya Mountains. I said, I can't believe it. We're looking at the Himalaya Mountains. And then I'll ask them, wouldn't you agree that from the depths of the oceans to the heights of the mountains, that we live in a beautiful place? And undoubtedly, they would say, yes, of course we live in a beautiful place. We see beauty in the world. And I will say, Genesis 1.31 says, God saw all that he was made and it was good. The creator of the universe looked at everything. And originally, when it was first created, it was good. Tov in Hebrew, healthy, good, beautiful. In fact, the Bible says every ounce of this world, every atom, declares the glory of God. Isaiah 6, uh, 3 says the whole earth is full of his glory. It contains fingerprints of divinity all over it. And so our amazing God left his attributes or the after effects all over our world. And then I will say now, finally then, as the focal point of creation, God created human beings and put us in this world. And that we are the only ones, the Bible says, that share the attributes of God. There are no other animals, any living creatures, that will have an eternal soul. That we are the only ones. Now, a lot of people were like, it seems really sad to me that my dog is not going to make it to heaven. And I will say, I guarantee, trust me, your neighbors do not want your dog to go to heaven. Trust me, your neighbors don't. Your, your, your animal does not have what is called a nasama in Hebrew, the breath of life, the living soul of a person. Now, it may be heaven for you to need your animal to go there, and maybe God will make an exception for your animal for you because for you it will be heaven, but it will not be because that animal has a living soul. Now, there are two reasons God created human beings and put them on in the world. 
for creation. There are two reasons, two reasons only. Number one, to reflect back to God thanksgiving for this gift of life. Psalm 66 says, all the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. I don't know how many of you are parents, but for those of you who are parents, you know what a joy it is to be able to work hard at a job and then provide for your children. That's one of the cool things about being a parent. It is a great feeling to provide things for your kids at the same time when your kids are old enough and they are not grateful for those things that you provide. Those are one of the times you're like, this is not so fun as a parent. And it's the same thing with God, that we are given this life. And worship is simply us acknowledging that God, is the old English word, worth-ship. We changed it in our anglicized English to worship. But God, you created us and gave us life. You are worth thanking for our existence. That's the first reason, to reflect back to God thanksgiving. And the second reason is to enjoy this world and to what? Take care of it. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to do what? To work it and read that le- those last three letters there, or last three words. To take care of it. So those of us who are in our congregation that are passionate about taking care of the environment, it is not because we are left-wing hippies that cannot wait to vote for Bernie Sanders in the next election. Though some of you may be voting for Bernie Sanders. It's because the, the, every part of the world reflects the glory of God. And so when you go out in nature, there is a sense of transcendence that you feel when you are in nature. But when the world is broken, and 10 to 15 generations from now, we have completely soiled this place, what used to be a mechanism for invoking the awe of the glory of God, suddenly becomes an agent of atheism. That, so that's why we take care of the creation, because 10, 15, 20, 30 generations from now, it can also be an instrument of beauty where we can see the glory of God, or it can become an instrument of agnosticism or atheism. Now, right at this point... I will look at you at lunch and I will ask you this question, regardless of how you think it happened, wouldn't you agree that our beautiful world has been desecrated? I'll explain that the word desecration comes from the original Latin, which meant to take that which is sacred and to take it and to defile it, to defile that which has the marks of sacredness to it. And so what I'll do with your picture, and what I want you to do with your picture right now, is I want you to draw nuclear smokestacks on it right now. Some of you uh, don't need any practice. You're like, oh, I see these suckers every day, right? Uh, I want you to draw some polluted rivers. I want you to draw a hazy, hazy um, smog over the earth. You know, the reason we created national parks was to protect God's beauty from us. Otherwise, we would have plowed them over and put factories over them. That's why we have national parks. The air is polluted now, unlike the original creation. The rivers are polluted. I don't know if you know this. 
in the Pacific Ocean, there was a floating heap of trash called the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. It is the size of the state of Texas two times. And it just keeps swirling and collecting trash. Imagine what that's going to look like and it's going to do to our environment a century from now for our children's grandchildren. But the problem is worse. It's not just the environment. It's that we keep killing each other on this planet. We used to look, we were told at the beginning or at the end of the 19th century coming into the 20th century. People look to the 20th century as the great century. The time where advancement in technology was going to eliminate war. You know how many people died in wars in the 20th century? 123 million people died in wars in the 20th century. In the Rwandan genocide, neighbors went out and hacked people to death with machetes when they were riding their bikes to the grocery. They hacked them to death in churches, in schools, in businesses. You're like, yeah, but that's in developing countries. Oh, really? Think of the regular sighting on our national news, a weekly event of how we're killing each other. In fact, there's a group of atomic scientists who keep what they call the doomsday clock, which keeps track of how close they believe we are to complete nuclear annihilation. The clock right now is at 11.58 p.m. Two more minutes and we are done on this planet. We have an extinction-level event. But forget all that stuff I'll tell you at lunch when you're eating your burger at Applebee's. I'll say, forget all that stuff. Isn't it hard being a human being? Seven out of ten Americans take one or more prescription drugs every single day. Mayo Clinic tells us that. Just think of the way we hurt each other. Just think of the anxiety, the depression, the debilitation that we feel. One female writer says, when you think about life, I think about toothaches, strains, scrapes. Cuts, rashes, burns, bruises, breaks, PMS, fatigue, hunger, odors, molds, colds, parasites, viruses, cancers, genetic defects, blindness, deafness, paralysis, deformities, ugliness, embarrassment, miscommunication, confused signals, ignorance, unrequited love, dashes, boredom, hard labor, repetitious labor, old age, accidents, fires, floods, earthquakes, typhoons, tornadoes, hurricanes, hurricanes, hurricanes. The dreaded hurricanes. Volcanoes and death. Congratulations on top of all of that. You get to die. It was never the intent of God that we die, but now we die. You get the privilege on top of all of that. You get to die. Now, the worst part is that the planet is desecrated, and our beautiful world has become a place of pain. Then I'll ask, how do you think this happened? How did our world get to this point? The one thing you, can, you and I can agree on, whether you're an atheist or not, is that this is the condition of our world. My question to you is, how did we get to that point? 
And then I will look at them and I'll say, you and I both know how we got to this point. How a world created with beauty and glory has been desecrated and turned into a dark place of pain. I will tell them, I will look at you in the eye and I will say, you and I know the answer to that question. The reason our world is like this is because of one person and one person only. This guy right here. (laughs) That guy, right? That guy. Now, now, the Bible says the one entity that has instigated all of this desecration goes by lots of different names. The Lord of this age, the prince of this world, the one who holds the power of death, the slanderer, the accuser, the adversary, the evil one, the murderer, and worst of all, Revelations 9-11, the destroyer. The destroyer of everything that is good in this world. In fact, the Bible tells us that even though God created this beautiful place full of his glory, we now can give it another title. And that's when I would write on top that I would scratch out our beautiful world and I would put kingdom of Satan. Jesus called Satan the prince of this world. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus had an encounter with Satan where Satan offered Jesus, took him to a high mountain, showed him the kings of this world and all of their splendor and said, I will give it all to you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan. Now, if we were having lunch, you're going to turn to me and you're going to start laughing. And you're like, seriously, that's like a medieval worldview. Like we have electricity and running water. How in the world could you believe that? And then if you're like a, the real intellectual kind of uh, skeptical type, then I will take you to Thomas Kuhn's book called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, where we typically think of um, um, scientific progress as linear and following like this, just like this in terms of our improvement, when in reality, the structure of scientific revolutions is that it goes like this. And there are jumps. Where we are today, scientifically, when we look at what we can observe in the world, we look back at people who believe the earth was the center of the world, and we're like, how uneducated they are. How absolute, what are they, buffoons? How in the world could you believe that? I guarantee you, 500 years from now, people are going to look back at us in 2018 and think the exact same thing. So no matter how educated you think you are in in terms of how you think this world works and the hubris that you have in your certainty, I don't know. I don't think it's pretty crazy to think what the Bible says about reality. Satan has control of this world, and two things have happened. Matthew chapter 4 says darkness has occurred, and then I'll go to that little planet, and I will start shading it in. Then I will say, then I will shadow of death. Not dead, but sort of like the, uh, the best version of the walking dead, like season three before it got weird and they went off track. That's the way the Bible describes this world. And at this point, I darken in the planet, and then I will say, listen, this sounds terrible, and both of us agree on this. But the good news of Christianity, the whole point of Christianity, is that 2,000 years ago, God came to earth to take this place back. 
That's the good news of Christianity, is that he did not leave us alone. God with us, it says in Matthew chapter 1, came and walked with us. Jesus said the first thing he said, or the first thing Jesus said was, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And at that point, I will draw another circle that will overlap that circle, and it will look like this. The kingdom of heaven is overtaking the kingdom of Satan. And I will explain that the good news of Christianity is that Jesus has become a door through which we can go to the kingdom of heaven right now. I will explain the whole point of Christianity is we don't wait until we die to go to heaven. We enter into the heaven kind of life here on earth right now. Right now. And then I will draw a picture of a door and I will put Jesus' name on it. What did Jesus say about himself? Jesus said, I am the what? The way. In another verse, Jesus said, I am the gate. Jesus is the portal, whatever you want to call it. That he's the only way to walk into the kingdom of God. And so John chapter 3, Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not have, per- shall not have perished, but have eternal life right now. So I'll look to my non-Christian friend, and I will tell him, listen, the bad news of Christianity is there's bad news and good news. The bad news is if you don't fix this right now, you will not go into the kingdom of heaven after you die. This situation that you're in right now, God's going to pull out, and you're going to be on your own. The Bible uses lots of images and names for this. Hell, fire, gnashing of teeth, all of that. All it simply describes is what happens when God and his people are not there. That place will go on for eternity. And so the good news of the gospel is that even though there's the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of heaven is overtaking it, is making it possible so that we can live on earth now as it is in heaven. Paul says in Colossians, he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And then I usually, right at that point, will give him a pen and say, I want you to mark a little X on what kingdom you're in right now. In fact, I want to ask all of you right now, if you have a drawing, put a little X down on what kingdom you live in right now. Are you in the kingdom of darkness? Are you in the kingdom of the son that he loves, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light? Now, there are three things that change when you get into the kingdom of the son that he loves. The Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about right living means that we're going to live rightly between one another and God. Um, Back in the winter, I was trying a new place to work out. I'm not going to give you the name of it, but they give you a little monitor that you put on your wrist. The whole point is to get your heartbeat up, and they put your heartbeat up on a wall. And the name of the place is named after a fruit two words, and the second word is theory. So I was at this fruit theory place. I don't know how many of you work out there. Uh, I went to work out. I tried it for about a week. I realized it was me working out with about 
30 women in their late 20s and early 30s. I didn't matter. It didn't matter to me because there I am on the treadmill and I'm working out and I was just there to get a good workout. But you only work out on the treadmill at this fruit theory place for about 25 minutes. And then what you do is you go over to a, a weightlifting section and then you have to pair up in a little group. And at that point, suddenly now, all of these 20 and 30 year old women paired up and I was there with me and the, the dude who should have been working out with me like years and years ago. And I'm like, hold on now, wait a minute. I can sense very clearly what's going on. I am not going to be put in the loser group, okay? I, very, when I was in high school, I was in the winner group. I was in the cold group. I was, in the, I was one of the leaders of the cold group. I am not going to be. And that's exactly what happened. And so those people are going to hell because they did that. And so, but that's what happens in the kingdom of darkness. You treat people differently based on socioeconomic status, gender, or uh, uh, sexual orientation, uh, lots of things, education, skin color, socioeconomic, all of these things. In the kingdom of God, which the church is a small part, it says in James chapter 2, someone comes into your worship services, and it says in the original Greek, they're gold, 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 gold ring-fingered. Basically, they're flashing displays of opulence. You are not allowed to treat that person any differently than someone that walks off the street that is homeless. Because in the kingdom of God, it's a matter of righteousness. Dealing with each other rightly, with God and with one another. Last week, we talked about peace and how that means wholeness and then joy. Things are going to be different now. Now the good news is once you are in the kingdom here on earth is that you become a part of a little band of what the New Testament would describe as messianic believers who are coming together, disciples of Jesus who are going to band themselves together and learn from one another in the presence of the Holy Spirit how to obey Jesus's teachings. And so Jesus knew, man, if I just let people come into the kingdom one by one, they're going to get picked off by the adversary. And so what happens in this body of his is that we carry each other's burdens. We are devoted to one another. Galatians 5.13 says we serve one another. We encourage one another. And most of all, we love one another. And then the biggest commandment of all is that we are to go back out into the darkness And we're to find people that are still in the darkness, in the shadow of death. Jesus said that his whole purpose of coming was to seek and save what was lost. And so we are constantly going out and keeping, bringing people into the kingdom. And what often happens for people who become disciples of Jesus, we get into the kingdom and we're like, man, it feels so good being here with one another, encouraging one another. I just want to stay right here. And Jesus is like, you don't understand. The whole reason I'm strengthening you in these relationships is to send you back out to seek and save that which was lost. In fact, Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Please hear me. A lot of people are like, oh, we just need to reach those last tribes. 
And eventually, when that happens, Jesus is going to come back. I think the gospel of kingdom needs to be preached to the Christians because the Christians aren't living this out and sharing this as well. So finally, I'm looking at Applebee's. I've described this to you. And I'm like, how do you get through the door? How do you get into the kingdom? There are three things. You need to believe, you need to repent, and you need to be baptized. And then I will hand them the pen. And I'll say, I want you to circle again, put a mark on this exactly where you are. I wonder what kingdom you're in this morning. The opposite of living in the kingdom is not that there is righteousness, but there is unrighteousness. We do not treat each other or God as equal. Where there's peace, there's a lack of peace. There's internal disruption. There's what psychologists would call cognitive dissonance. There's an unsettledness about us. Instead of joy, there's despair. So my question to you this morning is, who do you know that you need to share this with? Because the enemy, as Jesus said, is going to go and try to divert your attention away from going to the people who are in darkness and just focus on yourself this week. So that's my challenge to you this week. Who do you need to share this with? My second challenge is for those of you who are not in that kingdom. What's the step that you need to take? What is the step that you need to take to get into the kingdom? Let's pray. Our God, we just call upon your name and ask you, God, to infuse us with clarity and boldness. We ask that you would give us your heart for people who are without you. We pray that you would give us your heart for people who are broken, your heart for people who are hurting, your heart for people who are in the darkness. How can they hear, God, you tell us, unless there was someone to teach them? Help us this week to teach those in the darkness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.